You're tuned into Toby Talks, episode 25, because nursing is the heart and soul of community health. I don't know about you guys, but I really don't think I got the full understanding of what a community health nurse does. And if you were in nursing school like me, you probably had a community health project or a health fair, or maybe you did some volunteering hours at the food bank, right? But did you think that was it? Because that's what I thought. I thought, okay, then I guess this is all they do. (laughs) I didn't really know that there was so much more that I could do as a community health nurse. And that's not only dealing with my population here in America, but around the world. My wonderful guest today, Alia, is sharing with me how she is being so impactful in her role as a community health nurse. I mean, and this girl has been around the world. She has helped in Peru and Ethiopia. And even now in her current hometown of Ontario, Toronto, she goes in depth on what it's like to be a community health nurse, like the different kind of frustrations she deals with all the way to the pay. And I mean, the pay is good. Girl living her best life. But I'm already getting really too excited. Let's go ahead and hop into this conversation. Just want to go ahead and hop into this girl. How did you get inspired to go into the field of nursing? Like, where did that come from? So I grew up in a community that was very um, multicultural. It was full of it was full of immigrants, and so there wasn't a lot of. Um, education on like career backgrounds or things that you could do and things that you wanted to be like my parents always asked me as a kid like what I wanted to be and I was always changing my mind based on the things that I saw on TV or like based on the things that I saw other people really loving so like for example I loved to go to the dentist when I was a kid and so in the beginning I was like oh I want to be a dentist because I love to go to the dentist I would like watch Judge Judy on TV and I would be like oh she looks like she's having so much fun like I want to be a judge needless to say I'm neither of those things today <laughs> um when I was when I was like about eleven or twelve, I started volunteering in my community, like at local soup kitchens and the church and like that sort of thing. And I went on this trip where I had the opportunity to volunteer in East Africa. And when I was there at the age of sixteen, I met a nurse. And at this point I was kind of thinking, like, okay, I want to go into medicine. I really like science. I really like math. I'm pretty good at it, but I'm not quite sure like what I want to be. And my mom's younger sister was a doctor. So it was very like heavily pushed, like, okay, be like her, go to med school, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think that I was, I don't know if I didn't think that I was like smart enough or I I didn't think that I wanted to be in school for that long. Like, I don't know. I just, I was, I was a little bit skeptical. Mm-hmm. So I met this nurse when I was when I was living in Ethiopia at the time, volunteering. I was teaching HIV and AIDS education, so related to healthcare, like lots of health teaching, lots of health promotion, and I absolutely loved it. And I loved how immersed I was in the community, and I loved the role of being in the community and being heavily involved in not just their day to day practices, but even in their culture and their cultural consumption. Mm. And so I spoke to the nurse who was from Toronto, and she said to me, "She goes, you know, you want to go to med school, but like." who knows if you really want to go, like, why don't you go to nursing school first and then you can decide later on, which made total sense to me because here in Canada, you have to have an undergraduate degree before you go to med school anyway. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'll go to nursing school. So I came back to Toronto. I did three other missionary trips post Ethiopia where I was in Peru um, consecutively for two whole years. And I applied to university 
And when I applied to university, I only applied to nursing programs because I was like, well, I'm just going to go to nursing school because at least this gives me a skill. I knew I wanted to go back to volunteering in third world countries, but I knew that I needed something that I could actually do that was going to benefit them Mm -hmm. in the communities that they were living in. And being a nurse was beneficial internationally because it gave me the opportunity to have the knowledge, the skill, and the judgment to enact appropriately in those types of environments where health concerns were extremely vast. And... um, so I applied, and then I got in, and then I took off to Peru for three months, and then I came back, and then I started. Wow. So I, I, didn't, just, I know. It's funny because wow. it's like people often ask me all the time because they're like, what made you decide you wanted to be a nurse? And I was like, I didn't really decide. Like, it kind of chose me. Yeah. I mean, you were very yeah, Like, impactful. it really did choose me. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I was, I was already doing a lot, so... I was doing a lot of nursing-related things that I had no clue were nursing to begin with. That is amazing. And I love how it's your experience of life that kind of guided you into nursing. I know a lot of times when people hear like, oh, well, you know, yeah. I did it for, you know, I thought it was a stable, um, it'd be a stable job or I wanted to. Living. Yeah. yeah. But hearing that, you know, you, you were already impacted by involved, being involved in your community and not even just in a community where you live, but in various countries. It was truly like nursing picked you. Yeah. That is so cool. So how was your experience in nursing school? I know it's a little bit different from maybe the educational system here in the U.S., but what was your experience in nursing school and how was that journey for you? Yeah, so nursing school in Canada is a four-year baccalaureate program. So you end up with a Bachelor of Science in nursing. So it's a full four-year degree. Um, Some schools, you can now, so this is the thing, there's like several ways to get in. So you can do the full four-year degree. Mm-hmm. Or you can go to two years in college and then bridge and do two years in university to make up the, the BSCN portion of it. Mm. Or you can go and get another degree and then go and do two years in nursing school, which is like the advanced practice, advanced practice route. It's, mm-hmm. But you're not in, you don't become an advanced practice nurse. You just become a, a registered nurse. Or you can just, I mean, you guys have the LPN system in the States. So we have the RPN system. So you can just go and be an R, you can go to RPN school, which is just two years in college. I wanted to be a full-fledged RN. Like I knew that right away because I don't know. I just figured I'm like, why not, why not go all the way? Yeah. I, um, yeah, exactly. So I went straight into nursing school. I did the whole four years at university and I actually have a minor in sociology. So that kind of like ties in the community piece because I was so obsessed with the way that like communities functioned and like how everything in your environmental system could impact your circumstances, but also to how like the politics of oppression and diversity and, and migration impacted who you were as a person and in turn impacted your health. So I've been fascinated by this, like from the get go, it wasn't like I woke up one day and decided that I was just going to be a community health nurse. Like, no, I always knew that I wanted to be in the community doing something. So I Nursing school was a very long four years. Say <laughs> it was not easy. I actually, uh, I dealt with like really, really, really bad like depression in my first and second year, just like with the transition from like living in a third world country and traveling and like moving back to Toronto, like the big city, and and not really knowing like where I fit in. And I had a really hard time making friends because all of my high school friends had gone away for school, and I was the only person that had already been away and moved back home and and now needed to like have a life like where they already lived. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really make a lot of friends in university, but of the friends that I did make, they're literally like my best friends now, which is great because we all like move on the same wavelength and like they're nurses too. So they totally get what I'm going through every single day to day. Um, 
they, none of them work with me and none of them are community health nurses either, but they understand like mm-hmm. the get go of what it's like to be so involved in your patient's lives and be where they live. But nursing school was hard. Like it was not easy. It's funny. I struggled more like in the first two years than I did like in the final two years, but year one and year two were gripping. Like the first year I, like I said, I had really bad depression. So I didn't enjoy it as much as I think mm-hmm. I could have. Mm-hmm. Um, And not to mention, like, I worked, like, I had a job while I was in nursing school, like, all through nursing school, because university is expensive, and it's Mm -hmm. not free. And I am, yeah, and I mean, like, the debt system in America is insane. Like, I don't understand how anybody climbs their way out of that hole. But I'm still trying to climb my way out, okay? Honey, I don't understand. Yeah. And I live here. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, it's really not, it's really not a a pretty sight, but it's a lot more strict here in Ontario. So like nursing school is, I mean, it is the second most expensive program in the province. It'll run you about, if you live at home, it'll run you about like tuition alone. You're looking at 9,000 a year times four, which like puts you at like what, $36,000 just for tuition, Mm. not including like textbooks, transportation, feeding yourself whatever it is you mm-hmm. want to do on the side. So I worked, I, I worked my whole degree and people were like, whoa, that's insane. Like placement and a job and actual class time. Like, how did you do it? But I am a major procrastinator. So I also still found time and all those things to procrastinate myself. So I got like extensions on every assignment in my last year <laughs> university. Cause I just, I really, I really was not all there. I'll be you quite honest. Yourself. Like in my third and my fourth year, yeah, I knew. I knew right away. I was like, listen, the only way I'm going to be able to get through this is like if I ask for help. And I literally had to reach out to all of my professors and ask for that help. So like I had a lot of support. I'm not going to lie. Like that's good. my anxiety got the best of me by the time I got to my fourth year of university. And that support really allowed me to like have the successes that I had. And I had great mentors who all understood that like, hey, sometimes you're going to need a little bit of extra help. And like, mm-hmm. it's okay to need that extra help. It doesn't make you any less of a student or any less of a great academic because you decided to reach out. So, and I think yeah. that's probably what I didn't understand in the first two mm-hmm. years, which is why I struggled so much with it. That is really good yeah, to know so. because not not every nursing program um, in the U.S. kind of functions that way. It's almost like a do or die. You, It's like they weed out the weak ones and then the strong ones are the ones that kind of make it. So it's really good to hear that, you know, in Canada. Oh, trust me. They, that way. they try. I think they, generally on, like, they try to weed out the weak ones and the strong ones get there. It's, it, you really have to be like an advocate for yourself and like an mm-hmm. advocate for what it is that you think you need to function within the program. But the biggest, I, they always talk about this, which is like, ask for help, ask for help. Like it's the number one thing that people always talk about. And it's like the hardest thing to also do. So I was lucky in the sense that like my friends saw that I was struggling. And before I could even ask for help, they were asking the help for me. Oh, that's because it's awesome. like they knew I knew all the answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my friends were really supportive. It's like even my friends, like like in my second year, I had a really hard time. Like my friends would notice that like I wasn't coming to class as much, or like I was always late. And you know, one of my really good friends, she's she's a nurse too, and she just like she really like took me under her wing and was like, listen, like whatever it is that you're going through, like we're gonna get it, we're gonna get through it together. But like you're gonna keep going and like this is what's happening so like you couldn't ask me when a single exam or test or paper was due in university I had no clue <laughs> <laughs> I was not on I was not on everybody else's schedule I was like on my own schedule in my own world and if it happened to be the next day it was like it's the next I was 
by the time I got to fourth year, it's like I didn't even open a single textbook. Everyone often asks me like how I passed, and I'm like, guys, I just, I just knew like I was gonna be fine. A lot of a whole lot of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sounds reading. like a whole lot of faith, and you had a really good support system. Yeah, so I'm really glad that you had yeah. that. When you graduated from your nursing program, did you go straight to the bedside or did you go to community health? Like how, how does a community um, aspect of a job work in Canada? Was it at the bedside or did you go to certain programs and work as a nurse? Tell me more about that. So even in community health nursing in Ontario, because it's, it's different for every province, like in Canada, we, we have a, um, a really different system of government. So every the government you have the federal level of government and then you have the provincial level of government so you have like the prime minister you're looking at justin trudeau he's responsible for federal level government so he like makes all the laws that all the provinces have to abide by mm-hmm. and he gives you the budget then each province is responsible for dealing dealing out that budget to three different sectors so you're looking at healthcare, public transportation and like um social welfare like social mm-hmm. welfare spending so every province is different in terms of how they're organizing their their medical health systems. But in Ontario, where I where where I live, and specifically like in the city of Toronto, the province has the provincial level of government, which looks at healthcare, and then they have a smaller level of government, so like the municipal government, and then they from the municipal government you have like the deputy minister of health, and then below him you have the local health integration network, mm-hmm. and then below that you have the agencies. So I work for the agencies. For an agency, mm-hmm. the, which is a community health agency. The community health agency reports to the local health integration network, which reports to the municipal government. It's all just a fancy word for how people spend their money. Really okay. And truly. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds that way. It's, it, all just, it all just determines how much money you get and who gets that money. So the LIN in Ontario, which is who we work on the behalf of, gives out a budget for different sectors and it's organized by geographical region. So you're looking at like X number of kilometers equals this many people that reside equals this many hospitals in that sector equals this many patients equals this many patients you'll see in your caseload based on how many nurses are on your team. Mm -hmm. So it gets really statistical. And because of the complexity of the Nate of the role in terms of like understanding systems management, it's Mm -hmm. recommended that as a registered nurse, you work at the bedside first before you become a community health nurse. Now, this is what's taught at the academic level. Mm, okay. I am here to tell you, I'm here to tell you I did not do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I graduated. I wrote my last exam of nursing school on April the 24th. I had my job interview on April the 28th with the Local Health Integration Network. And I got hired on May the 8th. Wow. So you, you never even not have touched the bedside. You, I didn't, I didn't even touch a hospital floor. Wow. Uh, it's, it's a huge misconception that you have to work at the bedside before you become a community health nurse in order to be a good community health nurse. It's a huge misconception that it's too hard of a job for a new graduate nurse or that it's too complicated for a new graduate nurse or that there's too many things to do for a, graduate, for a new graduate nurse or that the, the role in terms of the complexity of the patients is too much for a new graduate nurse because you have to have a vast dictionary of knowledge but all of those are false they're all they're all false and they're all scare tactics really and truly mm-hmm. I'm, i agree with so, you yeah i yeah yeah that's the same thing yeah. here 
that's exactly the same thing here. They'll tell you like as a new grad, you have to, or as a new nurse, you have to be at the bedside for like five plus years before you can go into another role yeah, or to do something surge. else. And yeah. And it's like, that's not true go at work all. Surge and yeah, listen, I did not want to wipe bums and change diapers and turn patients for the next five years of my life. There was no <laughs> way in hell. Not that I don't think that any of those not that I don't think that any of those things are below me. It's mm-hmm. not It's not the case. Mm-hmm. But for me, I didn't want to stand for 12 hours a day. I didn't want to be running around, like, grabbing things and, and reporting to people. And, and most of all, my biggest pet peeve is that I am not someone that likes to be told what to do. And I feel like the culture of most hospital environments are very you're a nurse, you work below the doctor, you have to listen to them. There's no room for autonomy. And there's no, yeah. there's no, there's also no room for disagreement. Yeah, I understand that aspect. So, you're right. mm-hmm. And you, you, it's not like you can, when you work with, when you work within a system that's within a system, oh my gosh, the number of people in the event that something goes wrong that you have to go through in order to just fix one thing or the time, the time that it takes. Like, I can remember being a student nurse and as a student nurse, like watching my preceptor struggle and have to wait like two hours just to have orders changed for a patient because the doctor was too occupied to change the orders themselves or the doctor was waiting on some sort of like waiting on something or waiting on someone. There's so many people involved. There's so many middlemen that it's like by the time that you actually get what you needed for that patient, that patient is, is that patient's in danger. And it like strips you away from being able to be, um, being able to have that autonomy and be able to be that advocate for your patient, you know, it kind of strips that away from you. And you're like, Oh my gosh, this is, you know, like, Oh, I just want to cut out all the middle people and go straight to what I need to do to help take care of my patient. Exactly. And I just could not live that way. I, I knew it would make me miserable to have to sit and listen to other people dictate how I was supposed to do my job. This person, this person, this person, like, I couldn't. It wasn't it wasn't for me. So that being in that kind of work environment wouldn't have led to my success. And as a result of it, I thought I'm like, you know what, if I want to love my profession for what mm-hmm. I know that it can be and I use my potential to the fullest to really advocate for people and the things that they need in order to live at their optimal best life, the hospital is just not my my way to go. And I had a faculty advisor when I was in university who actually wrote me a reference letter for my job, where even though she read the reference letter endorsing me for the position, she looked at me and she was like, you know, I think this is a really hard job. And I don't think that as a new graduate nurse, she should be applying for it. But then I said to her, I was like, that's fine. I respect, I respectfully decline your advice because um, unfortunately the hospital is not the place that I want to be. And this is the only place that I do want to be. Oh, I know. That's right. She said, I respectfully decline your advice. That is, that is so like (laughs) amazing. Cause literally the millennial generation now, it's like, we know what we want and we're going to go for it. We don't want to tiptoe around it or sugarcoat it or have anyone tell us we can't do it. So girl, you better go ahead and decline that advice. Go ahead and keep that. So tell me what does your (laughs) role as a community nurse really entail? Like what does a community nurse do? Walk me through that. So I'm a community health nurse and my caseload is actually based out of what I guess you would call the projects of the city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. So I work specifically with patients who live in government housing and here the government housing is called Toronto Community Housing um, Corporation. It is a very, very egregious environment for people to have to live in. I'm talking like the whole 
picture the worst possible place you could live and this is how these people live so like bed bugs mice cockroaches everything sometimes they shut the water off in the buildings like just very like human rights violations really and truly Mm -hmm. um but housing nonetheless so people don't complain the way that they should so i take care of patients that live in these conditions specifically because there are very few nurses who want to work in these buildings these communities also aren't very safe and they're known to not be safe in the city of toronto so Mm -hmm. um you take extra precautions so for example i i don't wear any um sort of like identification clothing like things that would that, that would make me look like different than a lot of people like mm-hmm. i literally my uniform my uniform is black scrub pants and a white cotton shirt okay like, okay that's it as and like my name and like my and my my name tag yeah as basic as possible like nothing flashy no jewelry like nothing to get people to look at me i also have the windows on my car tend to be on the legal limit because when you're driving community to community i'm i'm really young so you don't want people to know that it's a young girl driving around in her car i mm-hmm. only work evenings monday to friday because that's when my patients want to be seen so unfortunately there's nothing i can do about the time but i mm-hmm. work less hours in the school day which is a huge benefit so it gives me like up until five o'clock in the middle of, of the day to do whatever it is that i need to do for myself so there's a lot of flexibility so you make your own schedule i see about 75 patients a week in government housing wow um between the hours of five and ten wow just five night. hours yeah, just five hours a day. I really don't work that long. And some days many- I end up working late. Like some days I work longer, but that's like personal choice. It's not because I have to. Mm-hmm. So. And how many? Yeah. Um, how much time um, do you spend with each patient? So I normally only spend fifteen minutes with each patient because the tasks that I'm doing within their home are very simple. So I cover everything from mental health and addictions to kidney failure on peritoneal dialysis. So I'm a dialysis trained nurse. Mm -hmm. So my organization, the government organization paid for me to go back to school after I started with them to become a dialysis certified nurse. So I'm a peritoneal dialysis certified nurse. So we do peritoneal dialysis. We also do um, IV antibiotics, pick line care, J-tubes, G-tubes, wound care, like Everything that you would do in the hospital, we just do it in your house. Wow. So it's like a drive-by Pretty nurse. Like you get to drive by and just stop a, and help them and do what they it's, need it's and then on. Yeah. But we don't do things like these people get PSW services. So like you, you don't do bed baths. There's no changing. These people are also, they're not like, um, they're critical, but they're not, sorry, they have chronic illnesses. They don't have acute illnesses. Okay. And it's so, not like they need heavy result, assistance from you. We don't do that at all. Okay. Not, not, not any ounce of it. I don't help you get in and out of the bathtub. There's no transferring. There's nothing of that sort. Wow. No turning, nothing. If you're, if you were at that stage, you should be in the hospital. You shouldn't be at home. Uh, hello. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent correct. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. From your role so far as a community health nurse, you are actually assigned to um, the, um, the projects area. And in the projects area, you see about 75 patients um, in a week and you work from five to 10 because that's the time that your patients want to be seen. And I, I understand that because they're probably working during the day or, you know, they're not at home during the day or, or something of that nature. So in your, yeah. in your going to see all your patients, um, is there extra, like, how is your documentation being done? Are you getting to do it there? Do you have to go back home and do it? Is that extra time at home? Like, how is that whole process for you? 
Yeah, so we, so for every, so it's kind of a, a system that we have. So for every admission that we do, we do verbal reporting to the LIN, which is directly to the government office. And um, our verbal report includes everything from the time that the patient was seen to what they were seen for to um, their their level of independence and whether or not they need any. We also set up additional social services for individuals. So like, for example, if you are not on Ontario Works, which is like our version of welfare, we can set you up with welfare. If you need a transfer from your housing unit, like from your project unit to another project unit, we can also help you with that. We help people wow. get on things like long-term disability. Um, yeah, we do, a, it's a, we do a lot of social work because we don't have social workers that work directly with us, but we do have social workers that we can consult if the if the issue is beyond that. So for example, like I once had a patient that I suspected was, was suffering from Stockholm syndrome. Mm-hmm. Shocking. So like I was able to report, we, we do, we do a lot of reporting. So like anytime something happens and it's like out of the norm, you can do a re- reporting because we have case managers and they're actually responsible for making sure that whatever it is that we have reported has been followed up on. Wow. So yeah, it's a lot of like social services as well, which we do. And it's not hard to do either. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's really easy because the systems here are, are all pretty linked. So it makes it really easy to fill out applications and get them approved in a timely matter. It's like a holistic but, care. Um, You're able to deliver like holistically the needs of the um, patient and the community. We, we literally deliver holistic care. Like, for example, if I came to your house and I was seeing you for dialysis, but you also have no food in your cupboards, like I could set you up with a food bank. Wow. That is so awesome. Yeah. And it would be my responsibility if I didn't know where a food bank was, it would be my responsibility to report to the government office. Like this patient was seen at this time for this reason, but like they also have no food in their house. And then they would connect the um, the services to make sure that they have food in their house moving forward. Exactly. Wow. That is awesome. I mean, you're truly delivering health care holistically, not just treating the issue, but yeah. treating the economic no. or uh, sociological issue that's actually um, hindering their health. Yeah, because I mean, listen, at the end of the day, if I'm only treating you for this illness and you don't know how to take care of yourself, the illness is going to come back and I'm going to come back. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, government money is not a government money is not like the hospital. As much as healthcare is free here, the services are going to run out eventually. And you can only, people want to look at it as like milking the system, but you're not milking the system if you are making sure that there's an opportunity for the door to close. Wow. I'm trying to close all the doors. That's so true. That is so true. That's such a good way to look at it. So what kind of challenges yeah. do you face in this role? Because it sounds like you're just like a superwoman, but I know it's being a superwoman yeah. and also some areas where it's like, okay, this is where I, it's actually challenging for me. So what areas as a community nurse do you find challenging? So many things. Um, Ontario, the province just underwent a new election and the person that was elected in power, people are comparing him to the Canadian Donald Trump which is extremely terrifying. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. We always ask our patients in order to figure out whether or not your patient is A&O times three, it's like, who is the current president of the United States? And oftentimes they're like, oh God, I'd like to forget that one, but I can't. Or just go ahead and just say (laughs) Obama. We're okay. Some of us are still claiming Obama as our president. I'm waiting for the brand new one. So that's totally okay. I mean, mean, listen, (laughs) I I fully agree with you. I fully agree with you. The number of times that I hear people say like, 
this president is not my president. He's a president, but he's not mine. He ain't president of me. So, Jesus is my leader right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gonna move forward. Every day. <laughs> okay. So you're saying that right now in your community, um, they're kind of against the person who is in leadership. We just had an election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the person that was elected a week ago is going to do, it's actually allotting $4.8 billion in budget cuts to healthcare. So we are all about to suffer because $4.8 billion in budget cuts is a lot of money, a lot of money to take away from healthcare. And as a result, you're looking at like 90,000 beds out of hospitals. But the last time this party was in power, they also fired 6,000 nurses. Wow. So, so that is a people challenge. are fearful. Yeah, that's definitely a challenge. Yeah. The people are fearful because, I mean, it takes a while for a new um, electoral party to make changes and actually have those changes take effect. So we probably won't feel it for another year. But I know that as soon as it does start, in terms of government services, it's going to be so much harder to process like welfare applications because they're going to, they're going to come down on like the qualifications to meet like the acceptance for welfare. And they're going to come down on the qualifications to meet the acceptance for, for housing. Like just, there's going to be a lot of changes. I mean, this is the thing with housing is that housing, housing is our biggest area of difficulty because there are a lot of people that are in units that are not healthy for them and need transfers. But housing in itself is not the responsibility of the province. That responsibility was released in 2001 when we had a different mayor in in operation by the name of David Miller. It was the worst thing that could have possibly ever happened. And just to give you some like perspective, Mm -hmm. three years ago, the the housing wait list had 47,000 families on it. It was deemed to be 10 years long. Wow. This year. Currently being in my Wait for it. Wow. Yeah, we're current. We just accept. We accepted twenty five thousand refugees last year, or two years ago. So this year, the housing waitlist has one hundred and sixty seven thousand families on it. Wow! The waitlist is fourteen years long. So you're telling me one person on that list is going to wait fourteen years for a vacancy in a home? You are absolutely right. So you kind of get how the lottery how the lottery works because you use the word vacancy. So you know that it, if you I always have to explain this to people. This is literally what I do for a living every single day because the number of patients that I have requesting transfers is is insane. But Mm. so basically, if you select a unit and that unit on your list, you you can select as many units as you want. So say you select 10. Out of those 10 units, nine are, all nine are occupied and one is vacant. You will automatically be moved into the one vacancy that you selected. But if you select 10 units and all 10 of those units are occupied and you are going to wait for one of those 10 units to become available, if all 10 of those families decide to live in those homes and die in them, <laughs> you're going to be waiting a whole 14 years and you may never get a placement. Wow. That is, that yeah. is, a, I'm thinking like when I asked you what kind of challenges I'm thinking like, Oh, you know, my feet get tired or, Oh, you know, sometimes I don't want to go. You were challenged by no. the fact that you cannot be able to give the help that you need to the, the patients that you're seeing based on what's going on in yeah. your my, in your politics yeah, of your I, country. Wow. Yeah. I always tell people all the time, they're like, what's the hardest thing about being a community health nurse? And I'm like, my job is easy. It's, it's my actual role in terms of like how I feel about my job is not, has nothing to do with the actual responsibilities of like myself in my job. You know, like a lot of nurses are mm-hmm. afraid of like 
met errors or they're afraid of like, you know, supervisors or they're afraid of like, you know, staffing like one to three ratios. Like those are the, those are the things that you hear people talking about or like not having enough breaks, like all that sort of stuff. Being Mm -hmm. a community health nurse is so much more political that like it becomes very personal. And I find that maybe even my biggest challenge is not having my professional politics interfere with my personal lines. But at the same time, I don't think that I could do this job if I wasn't so emotionally invested in the people that I cared for. Because you see them, you're in their, you are in their private homes, which are their personal spaces. They are inviting you not only into their illnesses, but they're inviting you into their lives where they live with their families and their children. And you're seeing them every single day for months at a time, even some patients years. Like we have patients that have been on service for like 14 years. Like we have patients that come on service and don't leave until they die. Wow. So it is, yeah. So it is, it's really hard. It's really hard in the sense that, like, you build really close personal relationships with these people. And, you know, maybe another difficulty is, like, establishing boundaries. Because if I decide that I'm not going to work for, like, a period of time, I'm accountable to all these people as to why it is that I'm not working and somebody else is coming. And you'll have a lot of patients refuse to see all the nurses, which makes your life really complicated. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. They'll be like, I love you. I don't want to see somebody else. And I'm like, well, I'm not working on this day and I don't work on the weekend. And the other thing too, I guess, is a challenge is that my patients, yeah. <laughs> the other thing too is that like, I guess my patients, they also have my phone number and so they can call me whenever they feel like it. Now, some patients are respectful and they don't call when they know that I'm not working. Other patients could care two cents less whether or not I'm working. <laughs> some patients also don't understand. Some patients also don't understand the difference between what's an emergency and you should be calling 911 versus you should be calling the nurse. Yeah, that's across so. the board here too, girl. We're still trying to explain to people. <laughs> Please don't go to the emergency room. You can call your doctor after hours. He will definitely tell you to take some time off of that headache. You don't have to go to the emergency room and wait there for eight hours. And find <laughs> out you, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a continuation yeah. of education. So um, Yeah, exactly. Man, it's... I Even just, here in Ontario, we have this thing called telehealth. Yeah, we do too. We have this cool. thing called telehealth. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so you yeah, get it. So it's like call definitely. telehealth. Like you don't have to call me. That is the advancements yeah. of healthcare. All these new um, technologies and ideas that's helping bridge that gap. Definitely love telehealth. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, man. So yeah, exactly. You've shared with me what is currently a challenge for you in your role, and it's definitely not personal to you. It's more of the impact that it's kind of hard for you to bring in your community because of things that's going on politically. So can you tell me some things that are like a highlight for you in this role? Like what is it that you just love about being a community nurse? I mean, clearly we've heard it through this whole conversation, but I would love for you to highlight some areas that you're like, these is the rain. This is the real reason why I'm doing it. And this is what I really love about it. Um, my favorite thing about being a community health nurse is continuity and not so much continuity in terms of like the literal definition, but more so continuity as a, as a concept. I literally see people from start to finish. So Mm. I know what happens to my patients as soon as they get sick and as soon as they get better. I'll give you a clear example. When a patient walks into the hospital and they are, say they come in with a stroke. And you care for them all through their stroke. And then they leave the hospital and they get shipped off to rehab. You don't know what happens to them when they're in rehab. 
you don't even know what happens to them when they get home. You don't know about the kinds of challenges that they're going to face. Like, did they ever learn how to walk? Like, did they ever learn how to feed themselves? Like, did they ever learn how to speak again? Like, you don't know any of those things. And I, when I was a student, had such a hard time with saying bye to people. I mean, even as a regular person, I have a really hard time just like ending things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe it says something about me like as an individual, but <laughs> you love hard. Yeah, you just I do. I do too hard. And um I think I really didn't like the idea of just not knowing. I wanted to know what happened to them next. I wanted to know did they ever actually get better? And in the community, because you see people for so long, you know that they get better. My first ever day working by myself as a community health nurse was my worst day ever. Not because it was not because of like being a new nurse, but because Mm -hmm. it was the day that I was greeted with my biggest fear, which was IV insertion. And I had very little experience and wasn't very good at doing it. I went to this home to insert an IV on a 27-year-old patient who had hyperemesis gravidium who needed IV gravel and hydration. Mm-hmm. She was projectile vomiting by the time I already got there. And I could not put this IV in her arm because she was shaking so much that she oh. couldn't sit still and I couldn't poke her appropriately. The That's story gets hard. better, I promise. Okay. Um, I felt I felt so bad that I went home and I practiced on every single person that I knew, my sister, my mom, my friends that would come see me at my house, literally, because we get supplies from the, from the pharmacy and they often send more than what the patient needs. Mm -hmm. You do your own supply collections at the end. So that way nothing goes to waste. So you always have supplies. And, um, when I, practice on everybody she wasn't my regular patient because she had a primary so every patient has like a primary nurse who's like the main nurse for them and then Mm -hmm. like they can get additional visits and other nurses go and see them so she was on for like additional visits i wasn't the primary nurse i later on ended up becoming the primary nurse because she loved me so much but um after I practiced and everybody, I got called in to go and see her again. And I was so nervous. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Now, side note, I have a severe phobia of vomit. Like, okay. I hate vomit. And people okay. are always like, how did you become a nurse? And you hate vomit. And I'm like, I hate vomit. And every single day on my first day of work, even as a student, like, uh, in in uh, practicum, I would get thrown up on. Like, it oh, how exciting. <laughs> like, here I here I am being greeted with my greatest fear every single time I start a new job just to like humble me in my moment. You know, you mm-hmm. think that you're great and you're greeted, greeted with your greatest fear and it's like a total overcoming experience. That's so so um, I get called back to her house and I have to insert this IV and I get it. And then Yay. I am able to get the IV in. So it's perfect. I was so proud of myself. But then I start the IV gravel and hydration. And while she's getting the gravel and hydration, she's still vomiting. So I'm like, okay, this is not normal. There's mm-hmm. something going on here because if you're still throwing up while you're getting the med that you need, then I know that the med is not working fast enough and it's IV. And the only other route that I can give it to you is through pick and you're already five months pregnant. So you're not getting a pick line now. Wow. So like, what's the deal here? Like there's something else that we need to do. So I said to her, I was like, how do you feel when you take this med? She goes, it doesn't do anything. It just makes you tired. I'm like, so you want to sleep? She goes, yes, I want to sleep. And then I sleep and then I wake up because I have so much acid and I vomit. I realized that she wasn't on any sort of like, she wasn't on like any sort of like pantalock or retinidine or anything mm-hmm. like that. So I ended up writing a note to the, what's great about being a community health nurse is that communication from us is actually taken seriously. I feel like in comparison to like when you work in the hospital, they always say that you're the doctor's eyes and ears, but I don't feel like doctors really take you seriously in a hospital because there's so much hierarchy. 
mm-hmm. in the community, you are literally eyes and ears. What you say goes. So oh, I had had a patient good. prior to her who had the same issue and was just far along, just as just as far along in her pregnancy, and she was on a prescription. And I had never seen this woman vomit a day in my life seeing her. So I was like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I have this patient that's on this med who has the same condition that you have and it's just as far as long in their pregnancy. So I'm going to try this med on you. So I literally wrote a note to her doctor being like, I'm seeing this patient. This is what her vomit looks like. These are her vital signs. This is how far along she is in her pregnancy. Can I please order ritididine 8 milligrams and uh, Zofran 8 8 milligrams? Mm Mm-hmm. I got them at the doctor approved the or I sent the note with her husband to the GP the next day and her husband came back and called me and was like the doctor approved it. We got the medication ordered for that evening. I went in, administered it. She got it twice a day for three days. And by the end of the weekend, she stopped vomiting. Oh my God. And she Look didn't throw up again for the rest of her pregnancy. You were a freaking And rock that's what star. I mean when it comes to. <laughs> but that's what I mean when it comes to being proactive and mm-hmm. being an advocate and actually using critical thinking skills. You are called upon um, the power of your mind in really difficult circumstances because you don't know what you know until you're forced to use it. Yeah. And I feel like being in the hospital, you kind of lose some of that because you're it's very robotic at times. Versus like in the community, you have to know everything. So your brain is always on overdrive. And I mean, for some people, that's really stressful. But for me, I thrive in those environments because it shows me what it is that I actually do know. And when I don't know something, it forces me to educate myself. Like I'm always doing continuing education. I'm always learning. And I feel like that's probably the biggest highlight, which is like the opportunity to know more and never not know enough. Like you can never know enough. That is just amazing. Like, girl, I'm just, I'm just, what you're saying makes so much sense, especially being a community nurse, knowing your resources and all that. And it's, it is kind of different from when you do work in a unit because in the unit you have a whole bunch of team, you know, you're not, you're not solely responsible in a way. Like granted, we are responsible for our patients, yeah. but we have so many other um, bystanders and bodies that we can help. We have the CNA, People. we got the doctors, we got, you know, charge nurses and yeah. you can go up that chain. But when you're by yourself in the community, it's like you are the sole person. You have to know all the resources. You need to know the next step. And if it wasn't for the previous um, patient that you saw with the same kind of condition, you wouldn't have used your critical thinking skills to put two and two together and think, hey, this might be the same thing that's going on for her. So I, I love that story. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just, it's an, you just gave me a really good holistic picture of what community health really is like and what it's like to in, uh, use that critical nursing skills that they talk about so much and um, apply it to your position. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, the, especially too, because this happened like right when I started working by myself. So I graduated in April and this event happened in October. So that they always talk about in nursing school, like the times that you feel like you felt like a real nurse, like quotation marks. And I thought to myself, like, this is what they were talking about. I feel like a real nurse. (laughs) So it's like, I feel like in the hospital, you kind of like you lose sight of those moments, you know, because you're just doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. But this family was so grateful. And and the best part about it is that, so I got to see her until the end of her pregnancy. And when they had the baby, they they invited me over to their home for for lunch because they wanted me to meet this baby. And um, they were so grateful and they were Muslim. And so they, for me, like, I'm, I'm not a, I'm a very spiritual person. So Mm -hmm. I always feel so full 
when people tell me they're going to pray for me, like there is something about being told, like, I don't care who your higher power is. Like God is God at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. you, the nicest thing you could ever possibly do for me is pray for me. And so the, the first thing that she said when they had this baby and she goes, I have to tell you, my husband, he goes to mosque and he prays for you every day. And my heart oh, felt so full, like so, so full. Awesome. That is yeah. so awesome. So I, you are so vested in your community. There's no greater reward. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Man, so what is the pay yeah. like as a community nurse? Like, is it a pretty livable pay? Because I, just in comparison here, you know, some of them say like, if you work, you know, community or public health, they don't get paid as paid as well. So, and I actually don't know. So I like to always kind of, you know, open that Pandora's box and talk about it. So what is that like for you? Like, what's the pay like? Are you able to live your life? Are you able to travel, have fun? Or are you kind of those penny pension because of the pay? Let me know. It is. Uh, how honest do you want me to be? Is as honest question. as you feel like being. You can tell me numbers or you can give me scenarios. As honest as you feel comfortable telling me. No, so I'll give you exact numbers. So ONA, which is the Ontario Nurses Association, is the union that is responsible for looking after nurses' salaries in the province. Mm-hmm. This is the guarantee that every nurse in the province, given you work for a hospital, makes the same amount of money. Now, not every hospital is licensed under ONA, but if you're not licensed under ONA, you have to offer ONA competitive wages. So an ONA new graduate nurse starts off with a salary that is $31.25 an hour. It works out to be around, this is giving you work full-time. It's Mm -hmm. well giving you work at all. So if you work full-time, it's $31.25 an hour, a year-long salary with benefits in place, and includes like pension because everybody pays into that is sixty three ninety for the year, so sixty two thousand nine hundred dollars. You get a raise every year for the first eight years, and then you don't get another raise until your twenty fifth year. Wow. Now, no, listen, that's not me. <laughs> okay, it I'm sounds, like, that sounds nice. It does. Like okay, uh... <laughs> that that that's not. Yeah, that's that sounds nice. It's really not because the cost of living in Ontario is extremely high. Right, and at right. this rate, no. Yeah. At this right. rate, no millennial, no millennial will ever be able to buy a home. Yeah, you're absolutely ever. right. It'll be impossible. So it sounds nice in theory, but it also sounds nice like you could be living at home for the rest of your entire life because you're never going to be able to buy a house. You're never going to be able to save enough money in order to you know, meet the standards. You're never going to be able to get qualified for a mortgage because now mortgages, you have to prove that you have a changing income to support the changing inflation rates of mortgages. So in reality, like, yeah, $62,900. By the time I meet my eighth year, I'm going to be making like $85,000. Like, yeah, it sounds great. It's really not that great. Mm-hmm. The benefits are great in terms of like healthcare, dental, all that sort of thing. But because mm-hmm. yes, as much as healthcare is free, we still have benefit plans here that we pay into in order to get additional benefits for things like dental care, which is not free. And like pharmacy, like drugs, if mm-hmm. you ever fall sick and you need antibiotics or painkillers, which is also not free, not covered by healthcare. Well, thank so you for clearing people that here up. Still, because everybody people here still pay. Free. We still pay. Wow. Okay. Thank we you. We still pay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, as much as healthcare is free, like, I pay an additional $134 a month in order to, like, not have to pay $800 when I go to the dentist to get my teeth cleaned or, or you know. Mm-hmm. We have this thing called OHIP Plus, which covers you under the age of 25. So, if you're 25 and under, you get, like, free medications, but it's not even every medication. It's only some. Hmm. So, yeah. So, 63900 I 
are on a complete, if you're not, if so, that's if you work full time, part time nurses, you're still making 3125 an hour, but now you're being paid per shift. You're being, you're, there's no benefits in it. And so you can work and you work your overtime and your overtime, whatever. You're lucky if you can make 6390 for the year. Some nurses end up making 6390, some nurses end up making more depending on how much they want to nurse work mm-hmm. if you're working part time. In the community, we are paid per visit. We are not paid by the hour. Oh. So it's very different. Mm-hmm. So if I want to make more money, I can work more. I can see more patients. And, and the more patients that I see, the more money that I make. The more patients that I have in my caseload, the more money that I make. But also think about the amount of work that I'm doing for those patients. As much as those visits are only 15 minutes of a visit, I'm on, it doesn't include like this time I spend sending emails, the time I spend on the phone discussing cases with doctors and other practitioners in the government mm-hmm. office and organizing additional services for people. I'm not, I'm, it's not including all those different types of things. It's not include the time that I spend in my car driving from patient yeah. to patient, yeah. patient. Like none of, none of that stuff is factored in. So to account for all of that, we are paid $29 a visit and we are also paid weekly instead of biweekly. Wow. So, so a full-time nurse in the hospital is paid bi-weekly and you're looking at like $1,900 every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay. For us, you can make $1,900 a week if you're seeing 90 patients a week. Okay. Wow. But so it, so I mean, that patient up, load is a lot. Up, That's a lot of, I mean, you it, know, it's a lot, but, but you can but, also make that. So though. for the nurses that yeah. So for the nurses that work in the day, they have more time because they start working from like eight and, and they finish working at like five. You know, they work yeah. like a regular nine to five. Mm-hmm. So the regular nine to five nurses are seeing like 115 patients a week. So they're making like $150,000 a year. Wow. They're uh, coming in hot. Yeah, girl. Y'all really They're coming hot. in hot. So someone <laughs> like me, hot. because I only see 75 patients a week, I'm not trying to burn myself out. It's, it's, it's just about a hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you getting paid real nice. Like that's a pretty good deal. Yes. <laughs> Loving what you it's do. It's a lot more money. A whole lot, a whole yeah. lot of money. Oh my gosh. That's really good. Now the yeah. difference, the difference in these. So some of the benefits is that like, we don't, um, get paid vacation time. So if we don't want to work, we're choosing not to work. It is our choice. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the good part about that is that as much as you're not paid to take that time off, you make enough money that you can afford to take that time off and not get yeah. paid. Okay. So you better the go out there. The second thing is that you, <laughs> the second thing about it that's amazing is that you have unlimited vacation because the, how it's called, it's called the, the name of the concept is elect to work. So you can work as much as you want and you can not work as much as you want. As a community nurse. Yeah. Yeah. Girl, you live in your best life. Yep. You live I know. In your I, best I told my mom life. I'm like I'm twenty I told my mom I'm like I'm twenty three and I'll probably never have another job again unless I decide to, you know, get up and move. And she's like, Yeah, well, if you never want to do anything else. And this is why it's like I wanna to go to grad school to study community and population health, but we don't have any um we don't have any doctorate of nursing practice schools in, in Canada yet. So I would have to go to the States. Now there's two pro there's two um, programs in America for community population health, like at the PhD level, like the 
the master's to PhD level. So one mm-hmm. is at Duke and the other one is at Hopkins, which are such incredibly difficult schools to get into, but they're also $130,000 for the, for the five years or the two years or the three years of the program, however long it takes you. So it's like getting that degree wouldn't change my salary. Yeah. It, uh, apparently. So it's really for personal. Yeah. Personal it's, just, it's just for personal gain. Yeah, Exactly. So it doesn't just, people are always like, well, you're in this position, are you going to go to grad school? And I'm like, well, if I go to grad school, it's not going to change how much money I'm making. Which is why so, a lot of people go to grad wait. school here is to change their income. And Which also, is why a lot of people go to yeah. grad school. Mm-hmm. And, and also, to, you know, get exactly. that extra knowledge and pour back in. But uh, you sitting really pretty right now. But it's so. also because they want to hold... Yeah, they want to hold like managerial roles or they want to be like nurse educators or they want mm-hmm. to... I eventually... Like I eventually, when I get old, remember, like I'm still a baby. I'm only 23. I only graduated a year ago. So 23 years old, I make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Like I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining for you. I'm not, I'm not complaining for you at all. In (laughs) fact, you don't need to come to California. You need to sit right there in Canada and enjoy (laughs) your money. Okay. Enjoy them coins, honey. We ain't got nothing for you here. (laughs) There's no new grad working community health in the United States of America that I know of is making a hundred K. Yeah. So go ahead and just, you know, enjoy the cold yeah. in Canada, boo. Enjoy your, your four weeks of summer. And, oh. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I know. I know. It's true. It's true. But you know, at the exact same time, like we pay a lot of money in taxes. So like it's a hundred thousand dollars before taxes, after taxes, you, you like, you literally only take home like 70 in your which pocket. So you end up paying like $32,000 a year in taxes, which is still a lot. It's still a lot of money. A whole but, lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's good though, is that like, because it's such an independent job, you write off everything when you do your, your income tax in the areas if you're self-employed. The government gives you a, a thing called a T2200, which allows you to write off all the time that you spent on your phone and sending emails and driving around in your car. So you're looking at car repairs, gas, car mm-hmm. payments, if you have a car payment. Um, cell phone bills, internet bills, the whole nine yards. Awesome. So this is what I want you to do. I need you just in case, you know, you know, America's going through a lot right now in our leadership. And if it don't change and I'm coming to Canada, I just need you to hold me a job and uh, I'm going to come work with you. Yeah. And you just going to tell me how to be the bomb community nurse. Okay. (laughs) Cause you live in your business. Yes. I got you. So, I got you. As we wrap this up, can you give me or give my audience, whoever is looking to be a community nurse, can you, what kind of advice would you give them? Like, how would they start their journey or what should they look for? Because like you said, this wasn't the actual path they're being taught. You, they're taught to go into the bedside and before they can become, become a community nurse. So what advice would you give someone who's really, really inspired by today's conversation and wants to pursue a community health nurse? My advice to them is to do as much research as possible about how healthcare systems in the area that they live in work, because it's the tiered breakdown of the healthcare system that's going to allow them to determine what agency is the best option for them to work for in terms of becoming a community health nurse and where they're going to be the most supported and what kinds of challenges they're going to face. Like, I didn't choose to work in the projects. The projects literally chose me. When I first started as a community health nurse, I was in one of the richest neighborhoods in the entire city. I ran into the opportunity where, like, I could give back to the community and they were like, you want to go to the projects? And I was like, yeah, of course. When I first moved to when I first moved to Canada, like when my parents were, were migrating here, my parents were originally from Jamaica. So when we migrated here, 
we lived in um, one of the neighborhoods that I work in and it, you know, my mom's biggest fear was that the, the kids aren't, we were great kids, but the kids in our neighborhood were so susceptible to everything in the environment that she mm-hmm. didn't want us to turn around and look at them and become just like them. Mm. And so we moved. Yeah. But I always thought about that, like my entire life, you know, is, you know, that whole nature versus nurture argument. But then I kind of realized it's not that we're a product of our environment. It's that we're a product of our expectations. Yeah. If the expectation wow. is that you are not going to do well, then you are not going to do well. If the expectation is that you are going to succeed despite whatever it is that comes your way, then you are going to succeed despite whatever it is that comes your way. And so I think that more nurses, when they go into nursing school and they want to think about, you know, what's the perfect quote unquote environment that I should be working in as a new graduate nurse? Like, don't think about what the environment is that you should be working in as a new graduate nurse. What are your expectations of yourself in that role and of the organization that you would like to work for? That is going to determine your performance. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast episode. There were so many gems dropped, but let's be honest. Who got time to replay, pause, and write down all that information shared? Shoo, I know I don't, but don't worry. I got you. Download Toby Talks app on Google Play for nursing resources, definitions, and so much more that were mentioned on today's episode. Toby Talk app features show notes that timelines the conversation and lets you click directly to the resource or definition. And it even lets you bookmark the gem for later. Listen, we're too busy learning how to save lives or even saving lives as nurses to deal with a replay button. Toby Talk app is your one-stop shop for podcast episodes and show notes. For more on Toby Talks, like the blogs and videos, go to my website at www.tobytodge.com. And you know I love to hear from you guys, so feel free to slide into my DMs on IG or Facebook and hit me up through email. That's tobytalks at tobytodge.com. Again, that's tobytalks at tobytodge.com. Till next time, I'll be talking to you soon.